Psalm chapter number 8. Once you've found that, if uh, you are able, would you stand for the reading of the Word of God? Good to have Miss Phyllis in the service this morning. Miss Phyllis is uh, Pat's better-looking sister. Amen? Amen. <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, but uh, Phyllis is, uh, lives in Florida, and she watches every church service she can. And so she's right, on, right, right there with us, right on board, and up here in Connecticut. And she is just thrilled to be in service. Good to have you here today. Amen? Amen. Great to have you. Um, if you close your eyes and listen to Phyllis and Pat talk, you wouldn't know who is who. And uh, they're one and the same. Same mannerisms, same voice fluctuations, all that. Yep. All right. Psalm 8, we're going to look at, we're going to read the entire chapter responsibly. And I'll begin in verse 1 and then we'll begin together in verse 2 and reading that pattern down to the end of the chapter. David writes in Psalm 8 verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens together. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the work of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the fields, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. Let's finish together. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Well, we're looking at this series of sermons, um, Walking with God. We're talking about a passionate heart. What are my passions? I can't search by topic, but I can search by title. I invoke Siri. Siri's now uh, talking to us here. All right. I'm going to shut him up here. All right. There we go. We're looking at having a... Siri just interrupted the whole church service. These computers, I'll tell you what. Um, We're looking at having a heart that's passionate for God. So vital. We've talked about a heart that obeys. We've talked about a heart that praises. We're going to look today at this subject, a heart that worships. A heart that worships. What's the difference between praise and worship? There is a difference. We're going to highlight those differences today, but we're going to talk about just the importance of worshiping God. I believe so few Christians actually truly worship God in their heart. And it's so important. So important we understand this truth and these thoughts. I'm so glad each one of you made it out to church this morning. And those of you that are watching online, we're thrilled that you've, uh, you're watching as well. But we hope that when you leave this morning, you'll have a little bit better understanding of how to better your relationship with God. Whether you have a, whether you have a great relationship with God or just a formal church attendance relationship, I hope when you leave here today you have some tools in place to deepen that and make it richer and better. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for how you've been working in my heart all week long as I've been looking at your scriptures and, Lord, meditating on these truths. Lord, may the sermon not come from my head and touch heads. May it come from my heart. And, Lord, may each heart be stirred today. Lord, um, we are wasting our time if our religion is simply outward. 
and simply exterior. We need our relationship with you to reach deep into the depths of our heart and, Lord, be genuine and real. May we be people who truly understand what worship is and then go forth and do it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As human beings, we're made to worship. But who or what do we worship? The year was 2200 B.C. There was a farmer named Urbel. Urbel, it was said of him that he served two gods. He served the god of death and the god of fertility. The god of death and the god of fertility. One day, the priests of the temple went through the countryside and told each of the farmers that if they wanted a great crop, that they would need to sacrifice their son for death. On the day appointed, Urbel dragged his wife and his son to the temple where the religious execution of his son took place. Now the God of death had been appeased, it was believed that the farmers would have a good crop. Once all the children had been put to death, the priest made this announcement. He said, there's a new temple prostitute and that one of the men would be chosen to stay with her in the temple for a week. His wife observed with great dismay as her husband's face showed great anticipation that he may be the one selected. Sure enough, Urbel was chosen and he leaped forward and ran away from his wife into the temple. Bewildered, she left the temple that day swimming in emotion. She said to herself, listen to this, if he had different gods, he would be a different man. If he had different gods, he would be a different man. Look at who you are today. It is reflective. Is it reflective of who God wants you to be? Does your heart worship God? Does your lifestyle show worship to God? Most people think, of the church as a drama. The minister is the chief actor, God is the director, and the congregation are the critics. What is actually the case is that the congregation is the chief actor, the minister is the director, and God is the critic. God is the critic. If we were to take a close look at your heart today, would we find a heart that truly worships God? If we were to take a look at the schedule that you keep, would we find that your time is devoted to worshiping God? If we were to look closely at your finances, would we find that your pocketbook is devoted to worshiping God? We said this about praise, but it's also true of worship. God is worthy. He's worthy of our worship. Worship or worth-ship. Worship or worth-ship. We worship that which we view to be worthy of our obedience and our energy. David was a, a man who was passionate about the Lord. That much is obvious. A, a large portion of the book of Psalm was written by David and is a composition of his private worship toward God. To put it frankly, David was good 
at it because he was passionate about it. David was good at worship because he was passionate about worship. He was passionate about God, and so by default, he was good at worshiping his creator and king. I propose that worship is greatly missing from the life of the average believer. Many, many do not understand what worship is and what God even expects. God desires us to humble our hearts in his presence and see him for who he truly is. Many, many distractions. Many, many distractions pull us away from worship. Many distractions. My introduction to my message this morning is not as bombastic and as exciting as it sometimes is, but that's intentional. If you're having a hard time paying attention to what I'm saying this morning, it's time that you stop and ask yourself this question, does this topic bore me? If so, that might be a sign that you don't really know how to worship God. Are we people who find time, who make time, who prioritize time to worship God? We're going to look at four thoughts about worship as we seek to, as the scripture says, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Let's jump in this morning. Letter uh, Number one, rather notice, worship explained. Could you give me uh, my uh, pulpit mic, and if it's on, could you give me just a little bit more volume? Worship explained. Thank you. Letter A, notice the communion of worship. The communion of worship. Look back at Psalm chapter 8 with me today, and we're going to look at um, uh, several verses here. And notice that worship, letter A, has to do with the communion. It's our communion with God. It's my heart communing with His heart. It's my heart tethering to the heart of God and growing in that relationship with God. Look at Psalm 8. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy in the avenger. Look at verse 3. We get the perspective. He says, When I consider thy heavens... The work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. What is man? What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? I don't know when David wrote this psalm, but if I had to guess, he was probably just a a young man sitting in a field watching sheep. You ever been away from the city out in the country on a clear night where you could look up and really see the heavens? You know what I'm talking about this morning? It's breathtaking. It's awesome. Where there is a creation, it screams of a creator. David sitting there under the stars, looking up at the heavens looking around at everything there was, realizing that for a creation to exist, the Creator must be bigger and stronger and more powerful than the creation. And he sits there and he says, This is 
amazing. Then he looks at himself and he says to God, he says, what is man anyway? You see, you cannot worship God until you understand how much bigger and better and stronger and more powerful he is than you. You can't worship him. Many people can't worship God because they can't get their eyes off themselves long enough to worship Him. You see, to really have communion with God, we need proper perspective. We need proper perspective. A lot of people question God. A lot of people wonder why God lets this or that happen. And oftentimes what we really lack is perspective in who God is. You see, if we're going to worship God, we must have proper perspective. Look back at verse 4. What is man, David says, that thou art mindful of him? You know what David's saying here is if God made humanity and never even gave them another thought. He would be justified in doing so because the universe is so vast and great and there's so much more going on outside of planet earth and there's so much more going on planet earth beyond just humanity that if God made man and never even gave him mind, he would be justified in doing so. David says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? The fact that God knows uh, uh, who humanity is, but not only knows that, but knows the culture of which you came from and where you live. He not, not only knows the culture, he knows the country, and he knows the town, and he knows uh, the home, and he knows you, and he knows every thought you think. He knows every step you take. He knows every hair on your head. He has every tear you've ever cried uh, uh, in a bottle. God loves you. And David step back, steps back, he looks up at the heavens and he says this is unbelievable I cannot believe that God who is so great and mighty and powerful and so much above me would care about who I am not only is God mindful of us verse 4 says that he visits us the son of man that thou visitest him I see here under letter A the communion of worship I not only see perspective but I see position David points to his position. Look at verse number 5. Verse number 5. The Bible says, For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the work of thy hands. Thou hast put all things uh, under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowls of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passest through the paths of the sea, uh, he says here, listen, not only God are you so much above me and greater than me, but you've assigned to me dominion. You've assigned to mankind (coughs) leadership. You've assigned to mankind uh, the right to oversee part of your creation, and God has given us dominion over the works of our own hands. He's given us dominion over those things that are under our feet. He's given us dominion over the animals. Verse 7, he points to the sheep that he would have been looking after, the oxen maybe grazing in the field next to him. He says the beasts of the field, mankind has dominion over. He says the animal kingdom has been put in subjection to and made for the pleasure of man, the way that man was made for the pleasure of God. The communion of worship. But not only do I see perspective and position, but look down at verse 9. I see a heart of prayer. Verse 9, David says, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name 
in all the earth. David says this, he says, My worship oozes out in the form of prayer. I cannot help but pray when I worship God. I cannot help but pray. I woke up this morning and I, I, uh, I rolled over and looked out the window in my room. Looked out at the barren tree that sits right outside of my window. And I got to thinking about how powerful God is to have just created the four seasons. Right? The beauty of the four seasons. All that goes on with a tree that sits in the ground dormant for four, five, six months, and then all of a sudden in the spring, everything comes back to life again. How powerful God is. I thank God for not only caring about that tree, but caring about me, caring about you. Thank you, Brother Kyle. You know, it's not just enough to know that God's bigger and better and stronger than you. It's not just enough to understand your rank in life. There has to be a point in time where you verbalize that in prayer to God. Those of you that grew up in church, a gospel-preaching church like this one, you know it all. I can't get up here and preach much that you've not already heard. You know that God is more powerful than you are. You know that God is greater than you are. But have you actually stopped to tell Him that? Have you actually taken the time to have your heart... Worship Him in His presence. Have you actually taken the time in the last seven days, 14 days, 30 days, uh, uh, two months, six months, year, to actually get on your knees and spend time in the presence of God and commune through worship with God and verbalize to Him in your own way, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth. We see letter A, the communion of worship. Notice letter B, the correlation with praise. The correlation with praise. Look down with me at Psalm, or rather turn over to Psalm 138 and verse number 2. Psalm 138 and verse number 2. Get your fingers moving quick. Get there as quick as you can. Praise and worship. In the evangelical day that we live in where uh, you have mega evangelical churches and uh, you have uh, uh, big productions that go on at these churches, there is a phrase that you'll hear and it's the phrase praise and worship. Praise and worship. We're going to go into a church and we're going to enjoy praise and worship. And those two words are melded together and many people see them as synonyms, as words that are interchangeable, as though they're one and the same. And my friend, they're not the same thing. Uh, They're similar, but there is a great difference between the two. Look at Psalm 138, verse 2. David says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and Praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Maybe you've heard that phrase. Um, uh, Maybe you've heard this phrase, all right? You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. How many of you have ever heard that phrase before? You can give without loving, but you can love without giving. I remember a handful of years ago, there was a, um, a, a major catastrophe on the other side of the globe. And I was working uh, for a trucking company. I was in college at the time. I was working for a trucking company. They called a meeting, and they sat us all down, and they said, we have developed a way for you to give toward uh, the people on the other side of the world who are suffering and struggling. And, and, and uh, there's a way. Fill out this form, and we'll take 
however much you decide out of your paycheck, and we'll make sure it gets over there to the relief effort. You know what I did? I took that form, and out of the pressure, I was a poor college kid. I could barely pay my bills. But out of the pressure of those around me, peer pressure, I filled out the form. I put a token amount down, and off the money went. You know what I was doing? I was giving without loving. But you know what? If you truly love somebody, you cannot help but give. Giving is the outpour of loving. Now, I gave you that example. I'm giving you that to correlate the concepts of praise and worship. Now, praise and worship are not the same thing. Uh, Hang with me here. You can praise God without worshiping Him. But you cannot worship God without praising Him. You can praise God without worshiping Him. But you cannot worship God without praising Him. Mark chapter 7 and verse 6 the, Jesus uh, is quoted here. Uh, the Bible says, He answered and said unto them, Listen here, Well hath Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, uh, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of the hypocrites. Listen to this. This is an indicting statement about praise and worship. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know what that is? That's praise without worship. That's showing up into a church service and, 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 and singing the songs and going through the motions of, of praising God with your lips. But your heart is far from God. Praise is outward. And praise draws the eyes of man. Worship is inward and is experienced between you and God. Now are you beginning to understand why praise is easier than worship? Because praise is what everyone else sees us do. When we truly worship God, only God knows whether or not you're worshiping Him. Now watch this. Worship always leads to praise. Always. If you're truly worshiping God, you cannot help but praise Him. I got out of bed this morning and, and uh, after having laid in bed, and, and part of it is I knew what I was preaching, and so I was just trying to practice what I was preaching, and, and I'm, I'm making, trying to make this more of a habit in my life. But after, I've got, after having laid in bed this morning, uh, awake and worshiping God for a few minutes through prayer, I got out of bed and I went in the bathroom to brush my teeth and brush uh, my hair and, 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 and get ready. And you know what I started doing? I started singing. Started saying the the wall between my there's a wall between my bathroom and my kids' bathroom and you know what I'm not able to hit those high notes very well early in the morning and my kids are probably on the other side of the wall just laughing. That's oh man, Dad sounds terrible in the morning. Dad sounds terrible all the time, but especially in the morning. I don't care. I'm worshiping God in my heart, and it's oozing forth out of my mouth with praise. And one day when my kids are laughing and making fun of me, I want them to make fun of the fact that I was so in love with my God that I could not help but praise Him, even if I was out of tune from time to time. Amen? Worship always leads to praise, but praise does not necessarily lead uh, lead to worship. It is hypocritical to come into church and praise God without having a heart that's in love with God. You say, well, then I just won't praise God. No, no, that's not the answer. The answer is that you learn to worship God so that your praise is authentic and not artificial. We've seen the communion. We've seen uh, the correlation with praise. Notice letter C, the command in Scripture. The command in Scripture. Luke chapter 4, verse 8 says, 
And Jesus answered and said unto them, Get thee behind me, Satan, and for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. When Satan tempted the Lord, Jesus, his rebuttal was, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. Psalm chapter 29, verse 2, and Psalm 96, verse 9, say something very similar. Psalm 29, verse 2 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I don't know that you can craft words in the English language better. I don't know that you can put words together that are more beautiful in sound than worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I like the beginning of that verse. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. You ever heard someone say he's due? She's due? Maybe you've heard the phrase he's due for a raise. Right? Some of you think I'm due for a raise. I wish my boss would wake up and see that. Right? Baseball players in a slump and you say, oh, he's due for a hit. Right? Um... Something catastrophic happens in someone's life and you know that person's not a good person and you think they had that coming. They were due. That's not a good thought to have. All right. You ever see a kid who's really misbehaved and uh, you think, man, that kid's due for, for trouble. That kid's due to be, well, I'm just going to speak in uh, politically incorrect terms. That kid's due for spanking. All right. The Lord is due. The Lord is due. But look at Psalm 20. Let me read Psalm 29 too for you again. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Some of you are due to worship God. It's been so long since you've gotten his presence and really worship him. Psalm 96, verse 9 says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. This is a command given by God, but to those who are passionate about their God, no command is needed. That's like telling a human being, I command you for the next 24 hours to breathe air. It's like telling someone who is in love with God to worship Him. It's like telling an ice cream lover to eat a bowl of ice cream or telling most children to stop doing their homework and go play. Telling a Christian passionate about Christ uh, to worship is a command that is easily obeyed. Because if you're in love with God, you can't help but worship Him. If your heart is connected to His heart, if there's a tether from the heart of God to your heart, then to wake up each morning and live life is to worship God. You cannot help but commune with God. You cannot help but worship God. You cannot help but follow this command in Scripture to worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness. We see, number one, worship explained. And number two, we see worship's emotions. Worship's emotions. If you've heard me preach much, you know I'm not a person who focuses on emotions a whole lot. I, I am an emotional person, and, and I get emotional uh, from time to time, like anyone who isn't a robot. But I don't know that it's healthy to focus on um, emotions uh, uh, too, too often. Um, I think that if you let your emotions make your decisions for you, that can get you into trouble. But there's no question that when you worship the Lord, 
there, is, there are emotions that are truly felt. Take your Bibles over to Genesis chapter 24 with me. Genesis chapter 24. Let me give you the first emotion as I studied worship. I, I found in Scripture, and there's probably more, but I found in Scripture three emotions that seem to be experienced with worship. The first one I found is amazement. Amazement. Letter A, notice amazement. Look at Genesis 24. Look at verse number 12. We're going to read all the way down to verse 26. If you're still turning, you can catch up when you get there. I'm going to begin Genesis 24, verse 12, and read down through 26. The Bible says, And he said, O God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day, and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto, thy, unto my master. And it came to pass before he had done speaking that, behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her uh, pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin. Neither had any man known her, and... She went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. By the way, that was no small task. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again into the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man, wandering at her, held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass as the camels had done drinking that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hand of ten shekels weight of gold and said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in my father's house for us to lodge in? And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. She said, moreover, unto him, We have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. Look at verse 26. And the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. Here uh, Abraham has sent his servant. To go find a wife for his son Isaac. And uh, sends him to a geographical location that gives him no further directions. That was a lot of trust that Abraham had in his servant. And I'm sure Isaac gave him a list. Make sure this, this, this. But don't bring back, you know, bring back the right girl. A lot of pressure on Abraham's servant. Abraham's servant arrives in town. He's sitting there and he prays. He says, Lord, I'm, I'm going to ask the young ladies coming out to get water for a drink. And if they offer not only to give me a drink, but to give the camels drink also, I'll know that's the one you want me to take back. Now, that's a pretty unlikely scenario, is it not? Um, most folks are so selfish that they would just kind of do the obligatory, here's a cup of water, and if they'd even give one at all. But 
Rebecca comes out and says, not only am I going to give you water, but, man, your camels look thirsty. It's been a long journey. Let me take care of them as well. And Abraham's servant is sitting there with his mouth gaped wide open. God, you answered my prayer. Wow. How many times has God come through for you and you just desperately needed him? You've prayed and said, God, I need this. I'm struggling in this way. I need you to come through for me. And God came through in such a way where the only way it could have happened was divine. Tears well up in your eyes and you're amazed. And not only the power, power of God, but the personal touch of God. 1 John 4.19 says, We love Him because He first loved us. When I think about my salvation from hell, I'm left utterly speechless. You see, I'm realistic enough to know just how wicked and sinful I am. The fact that God would send Jesus to suffer and die for me. How can you not worship a God like that? I look around at all of the daily blessings that are just poured down on me. I don't deserve a single one of them. If God took everything away from me the way he did Job and struck me with boils, pain the rest of my life, he'd be justified in doing so because I am just a wicked person. Every blessing that he dumps down on me, I'm just left dumbfounded. God is good. If that does not cause you to pause and worship What emotions are felt when we worship God? Well, amazement. Notice letter B, affection. Affection. Take your Bibles to Psalm chapter 29 with me. Psalm chapter 29 and look at verse number 2. We read this verse just a moment ago. We're going to look at it at least one more time this morning. Psalm 29, verse 2 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. I love this part of the verse. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Notice that word holiness. Psalm 45, verse 11. You can quickly make your way over there. Psalm 45, verse 11. The Bible says, So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. 
what is it that's beautiful about God? What is it about God, rather, that is beautiful? It's His holiness. I did not tell Pastor Andrew what songs to sing this morning. He had no idea what I was preaching. I had no idea what we were singing. I think God maybe was lining all this up from heaven. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. Thou art worthy, O Lord. In fact, let's see, Revelation 4. Revelation 4, verse 8 through 11, the Bible says, And the four beasts, and each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. When those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sit on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, and the four and twenty elders felt fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You know what's going on in heaven right now? They're worshiping God because he's holy. He's holy. What does that mean that God is holy? That's a term that we hear oftentimes and it can go in one ear and out the other. But the thought that God is holy is that He is perfect in every way. He is spotless. He is without error. He, was, he is without blemish. He has never had a moment of, of discretion, a, a lack of discretion or lack of discernment. Every choice He's ever made is perfect and right. He is holy in every single way. And when you look at God and you are adore Him and you and you are uh, showing affection toward Him, one great way to do that is to understand that He is holy and we are not. I've had couples come sit in my office for counsel where one of the two has greatly blown it. And the other one's very upset with the, the one who's made uh, uh, the, the transgression. And, and they'll come in my office and, and I see one of two approaches from the offending party. I'll see uh, either an approach of pride and, and justification and, and a fighting attitude and being defensive. But then I'll have a spouse that comes and sits in my office and they're broken because they know that in this area their spouse is holy and they're not. And there's contrition, and there's humility, and there's an apology, and there's reconciliation. When I look at God, and I understand, listen, life is hard. How many of you ever woke up in the morning and you prayed and you said, God, I'm going to get it all right today. I'm not going to do anything wrong today. It's my goal. I'm not going to complain once. And then you walk out and your toast is burnt. car won't start. You get called in the boss's office. Ah! And you think, I can't do this. This is hard. I can't live perfect. I can't be holy. And then you stop and think, God wasn't just holy today. God was holy for eternity past. He will be holy in eternity future. He's never, ever one time had a bad day. Boy, that's a God who I can worship and say, that is beautiful. 
more I spend time in the presence of God, the more I want to worship Him. The more I focus on His flawless, impeccable character, the more I want to worship Him. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus is teaching uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed or holy be thy name. You know, a great way to start by worshiping God is by, uh, by showing attention to the fact that His name is hallowed. His, 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 his character is holy. What emotions do we experience with worship? Well, we experience amazement. We experience affection. Letter C, we experience abasement. Abasement. Take your Bibles over to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6. Psalm 95, verse 6. While you're finding your way over to Isaiah 6, let me read a handful of psalm for you. Psalm 95, verse 6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Notice the posture. We're bowing down. We're worshiping while we're bowing down. Let us kneel. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Psalm 99, verse 9 says, Exalt the Lord our God. God, that means to put Him up on a pedestal. That means to place Him above ourselves. And worship at His holy hill. He is high and lifted up. We are abased. We are below Him. For the Lord our God is holy. Psalm 132, verse 7 says, We will go into the tabernacles. We will worship at His footstool. At his footstool. We are graveling at the feet of God while he is high and lifted up. While he is elevated, we are abased. Instead of uh, elevating ourselves and expecting God to serve us through prayer, no, we are uh, abasing ourselves before God and becoming obedient to him. As we truly worship God, we sense, we feel humility. We feel even humiliation. We Feel a base. Look at Isaiah chapter 6 and we'll see what happens when Isaiah walked into the presence of God in his vision. Verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, that's his uncle, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And it, and it stood, uh, above it stood the seraphims, each one having six wings. These are angels. With train, he, twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet. These are the seraphims. And with twain he did fly, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the, uh, of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Look at, uh, as Isaiah prepares to worship God, look at his response in verse 5. Isaiah, the Bible says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, lo this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. When Isaiah entered the presence of God, he fell Below, fell on his face, he fell on his knees. And the outcry of his worship was, I am sinful, I am undone, I am wicked, I dwell amongst wicked people, my culture is wicked, my country is wicked, myself is wicked, oh God, I am unworthy to be here. Hear me out on this now. Please hear me out on this. You cannot worship God. You will not worship God if your heart is lifted up in pride. 
You cannot worship God if you think that for some reason that God owes you an explanation on something or, 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 that, or that God uh, should, should, should some, in some way uh, uh, is, is, is wrong for not answering some prayer of yours and, and you're, you're living with some sin in your life that's got a grip and a stronghold and you're in love with that sin. You cannot worship God because your heart is filled with pride and you are not abased in the presence of God. One way to know that you're truly worshiping God is that when you walk away from His presence, you have a heart filled with humility. You have a heart filled with, He is holy. I am not. He is perfect. And I'm a long ways from it. Listen up to me now. You know why some of you can't get along with other people? Because you don't realize how sinful and wicked you really are. We are all a bunch of dirt. You say, how dare you call me a piece of dirt? What do you think Adam and Eve were made out of? You're not better than anyone else. You, should, you don't deserve a privilege someone else uh, doesn't get. All of us deserve to die and spend eternity separated from a holy God in a place called hell. Anything and everything you get above that, boy, you should be humbled that God gives you another day and another chance to live. Maybe because God's forgiven you of so much, you can let go of a few things people have done against you. You see, when I really worship God, it becomes a lot easier for me to show grace and kindness and love toward others. Worship's emotions. Number three, notice worship's enemies. Worship's enemies. Let me give you some thoughts below this. Letter A, notice our busy schedules. Our busy schedules. Why is it that we don't truly worship God the way we ought to? Well, for many of us, our schedules are just busy. Look at Psalm 46 in your Bibles. A common verse. We've referenced it already a few times this year. We'll probably look at it several more times this year, depending on the context of our message and how it fits. Psalm 46, look at verse 10 with me. I'm going to get you there, and we're all going to read it together. So please, 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 find your way there. Psalm 46, and verse number 10. Ready? Here we go. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Many of you have listened intently this morning and deep down you know that you don't worship God as you should. And you know that you are wrong for not doing it. But why don't you do it? Well, for many people, it comes down to just being too busy. The word still in Psalm 46.10 means to be quiet. How many of you here have a hard time being quiet? A whole bunch of you are lying right now. A whole bunch of you should have raised your hand and you didn't. I don't just mean your mouth. I mean your spirit. 
Let's try that again with that in mind. How many of you here have a hard time being quiet in your spirit? When was the last time you sat in solitude with, and were left to your thoughts and no other distractions present? In this digital age, we have smartphones and tablets. We have smart speakers and earpods. We have televisions and radios. We have music streaming services and podcasts. We have 24-hour cable news and sporting events on demand. We live with some form of a screen jammed in front of our face all the time. Understand, David had none of this. It was David as a young man and his sheep. There was no sitting against a tree streaming through Facebook or some social media feed. There were no friends for him to call or text. There were no video chats or mobile games to play. David had a whole lot of time out in the field. What did he do with it? He worshipped the Lord. He sat still and quiet. And in his heart, he gave God the glory due to his name. A couple of years ago, we sent our teenagers to a youth conference. And I, uh, I handed down a rule. I got so much pushback on. I said to the teenagers, You would have thought I had sucked, like, taken oxygen off planet Earth. What? I can't have my cell phone? I'm going to die! I'm picking on the teenagers, but can I tell you, us adults, we're just as bad. A couple years ago, I went to Alabama... Our theme the coming year was rooted in Christ, and I wanted to go spend some time with a farmer. I knew a farmer down that way. So I left behind my cell phone, my laptop. I left behind everything. I didn't take a single screen with me. And I took my Bible. I took some other things and you know, books and things. And come Thursday, I'd been there four days, five days. Come Thursday, I, I needed a break. My mind was tired. And so I, uh, I thought to myself, I'm going to go out for a ride. I'm going to go to a store, just, you know, just clear my head. And I thought to myself, where is a Best Buy? You know, they don't have Best Buys in Alabama. They're just not down there. And after driving around for a few minutes and not seeing one, I didn't even, I didn't even have a GPS. I think I had a GPS in the, in the vehicle to help me get around. But, but after not being able to find one or any store with the electronics, I pulled into a Walmart parking lot. And I went back to the electronics section. I began to play with the cell phones. And I thought, I am addicted to these things. Now, before you go judging me, how many of you are just as bad as me? Yeah? Do you know those things keep us from worshiping God? Are we really too busy to worship God? Or do we just not prioritize it in our heart and life the way we ought to? What are the enemies of worship? Well, our busy schedules. Letter B, notice our reliance on self. 
Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 16, Jeremiah writes, And I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness, who hath forsaken me, and have burned incense unto other gods. Listen to this phrase, this condemning phrase, and worshipped the works of their own hands. Micah chapter 5, verse 13, Micah writes, Thy graven images also will I cut off, and uh, thy standing images out of the midst of thee, and thou shalt no more worship the work of thine own hands. The God of Israel had a competitor. Israel could not worship their God because they were too busy worshiping their own handiwork. They were busy worshiping material goods. Romans chapter 1 verse 25 uh, says this, Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul says about the Gentiles of his day that they worship the creation over the Creator. Uh, this happens when we worship ourself. You cannot worship God and worship yourself. You cannot do both of them at the same time. Worship requires humility. Worship requires a realization of how vile you are and how holy God is until you get honest with yourself and with God about your own sin and come to a full heart level realization of how holy God is. You cannot worship Him. Many times you may not worship God because you are too full of yourself to do so. We're so reliant on self. Letter C, our value of sinfulness. Psalm 66 verse 18 is a commonly used verse in churches. But boy, it fits so well here. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I grew up in a very loving home. I had a mom and dad who were very good to me and my siblings. I'm the oldest of seven children. As a child, I lived on a dead-end street. My ninth birthday, I got a puffy bicycle. Favorite Christmas present I ever got. And I lived on my bicycle. How many of you were old enough to remember a time when you lived on your bicycle outdoors? Kids today live on their video game systems. Can't hardly get them out. The sun, oh, the sun's blinding me. Teenagers are like, quit picking on us, all right? Sorry, guys, I, I lay off a little bit. Um, lived on my bicycle, and we would set up ramps, and, uh, you know, um, my brother fell off the ramp and um, uh, went sideways and scraped, wearing shorts in the south, southeast, you know. He had, like, glass shards way up in his knee from scraping on the asphalt on the road, and uh, we, we just made so many memories. At the end of my street was a, a, a dead-end street was a, a, a sewage um, just water runoff to a sewage area, and, and there was a someone had stuck a large, uh, like a really uh, a pipe like this tall, uh, and all the way across, and so the water would run over that pipe like a waterfall. My parents had told us, "Don't go in there. Don't don't go anywhere near there." As kids, we don't understand what septic or sewage, what those words mean. We're little kids, and we're just trying to have fun. And, and I can remember a friend of mine; he triple dog dared me. Now, you know when you're nine and you get triple dog dared, what your parents say no longer matters, okay? You have to do it. So I start walking across, and lo and behold, I fall in. 
And um, I'm getting laughed at by all my buddies. And I'm not concerned about my buddies laughing at me. I'm concerned about my dad, who's going to kill me. And so I sent my brother into the house to get a change of clothes. And I went out in the woods and, and I hung my wet clothes on a tree branch. And I changed and just hoped my mom wouldn't notice I was wearing something different. And, and I never got caught for that. Amen. Um, <laughs> One day, if Matthew's a preacher, I'm going to sit in and listen to all the things he got away with. (laughs) I loved the communion with my dad. Loved it. I used to go with him and cut lawns and and, um, learn how to to push a lawnmower with him, learn how to work. My dad taught me how to work growing up. But I remember when I had done wrong, I remember his car would pull into the driveway, and I'd be down on the other end of the dead-end road, and I'd on my bicycle see him. And instead of wanting to run to him, I would want to ride my bicycle away from him. Many of you can't worship God because the very thought of his presence scares you to death. You've got sin in here holding on to that sin. God says, that's not welcomed in my presence. When you love sin more than you love me, you can't worship me. I don't know if it's a substance. I don't know if it's an illicit relationship. I don't know if it's the the sin of, of pride and the sin of stubbornness and the sin of wanting to hold on to your way of doing marriage or parenting or or, or gossip or or just being out of balance uh, with life. You fill in the blank with what your sin is. Maybe it's lust. uh, uh, Maybe it's food. uh, Maybe it's it's, it's sexual immorality. But you, you, you allow these sins in your life and you're worshiping those sins so you cannot worship a God who is sinless. Until you learn to love God more than you love that sin, you cannot worship God. We've looked at worship explained, worship's emotions, worship's enemies. Let's finish the message this morning and notice worship emphasized. Worship emphasized. Letter A, quickly notice our public worship. Our public worship. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9, we find that the wall has been completed, the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. And the people are gathering here uh, in the latter part of the book, and uh, they're rejoicing in the Lord that they're beginning to get uh, protection back from their enemies. The wall has been rebuilt, and they can begin to put their lives back in order. Verse number 1 says, Now on the twenty and fourth day of the, this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them, and the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquity of their Fathers, and they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for one-fourth part of the day. Now, next time you complain about how long our church services are, they were there for six hours just reading the Bible. Amen? And another fourth part, they confessed and worshipped the Lord, their God. They confessed and worshipped the Lord, their God. Corporately, they're gathering for public worship. They've had the Bible read. They've confessed sin. Their hearts are ready to uh, uh, corporately, to publicly worship the Lord. Now, many churches call the music director the worship leader. The worship leader, the reality is that worship to God should be the motive behind everything we do when we gather together. 
our personal worship should drive us to corporate worship. When we gather the saints in, in Christ, um, uh, uh, we should be looking to worship God every way uh, that we possibly can. We should worship with our singing. We should worship with our giving. That offering plate comes by. We're not just worshiping the Lord through song. We're not just uh, wholeheartedly vested into the songs that we're singing and the lyrics that we're singing. When the offering plate comes by and you drop in your offering, you're not just giving uh, out of obligation or duty. You're giving because you love God and you want to further His work both here and abroad. You see, when we pass past the offering plates at our church, that is another form of worship. You let the plate go by and you don't contribute, my friend, you are missing out on a part of our worship. We worship through our singing, we worship through our giving, we worship through our serving. You know why the you know what the nursery workers are doing right now back here? You know what the children's workers upstairs are doing uh, right now? You know what our ushers have done this morning? You know what our life group leaders and our bus workers did today? They got up this morning and they went to church with a heart to serve God here in our church. They are worshiping the Lord through their service. You see, if you are serving God at our church and you're doing so for the praise of men, you're doing so for the eyeballs of others, you're doing so for some sort of religious obligation or duty, my friend, you're serving, but you're not worshiping in your service. A heart behind our service ought to be worship. We show up for public worship and we we sing, we give, we serve, but we also worship God with our preaching. So many churches across America have preachers who get up and And they preach a sermon that's meant to berate and put down and hurt people and attack. And my friend, that's not a heart of worship. Letter B, lastly, notice our private worship. We've looked at our public worship. Let's finish with our private worship. Let's finish the message this morning in Matthew chapter 6. And look at verse number 5. Matthew 6, verse 5. Jesus says here, he says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which is in secret shall reward thee openly. Do you have a time of prayer? Where it's just you and God? Where you worship the Lord in privacy? You see, in order to worship God privately, you need a time of worship. You need a time of worship. Write this down. Write this down about a time of worship. Write this down. Settle it. Just settle it. 
I'm going to do it. Uh, be resolute that when you leave this morning, that you will establish a time uh, to pray. That you're going to have a time each day where you worship the Lord. Why? Because He's worthy. And all of the other reasons we've talked about today, have a time of worship, settle it, and then write this down. Schedule it. Schedule it. How many of you have learned that if you don't schedule something, it doesn't happen? Right? You don't schedule it, it doesn't happen. Right now, I need to do my taxes. I've got to schedule it or it isn't going to happen, right? Settle it, schedule it. Settle it, schedule it. You need a time of worship. Then, uh, lastly here, under this thought of private worship, how about we live a life of worship? I was talking to Pastor Ranger in my office a little bit about my message earlier this week, and I told him, I said, as a little boy, God got hold of my heart. By the way, I give Patch the Pirate a lot of credit for God getting hold of my heart. If you have parents here, you got little kids, buy up the Patch the Pirate uh, uh, dramas and play those for your kids. It, I'd hear songs like, Make me a servant like you, dear Lord, living for others each day, humble and meek, telling the weak, loving in all that I say. And, and, and those songs, they grabbed me as a child. They told me that because God had done so much for me, that He was worthy of my entire life. You know why I'm a pastor today? Yes, it's because God called me into, into, into being a pastor, specifically. But can I tell you why I've given my life to live for Jesus? Because I want my entire life to be worshipped to God. I want to get into heaven one day, and I want God to look at me I want this more than anything I want here on earth. I want to walk through the gates of heaven when I leave this earth. And I want to walk into the presence of Jesus. And you know what I want more than anything in this life is to see a giant smile on his face. And he says, you lived a life of worship to me. Nothing would be more to this old sinner right here than that right here. Right there. I want my life to be worshipped. Am I perfect? Oh, I'm far from it. Do I have sin struggles just like all of you do? I sure do. But each and every day I get up, I want to do everything I can to worship the Lord with my life. Worshiping God requires intentional, scheduled effort. Worshiping God requires humility. Worshiping God requires self-awareness. God is worthy of our worship. And when we do this, we feel amazed, we'll fall in love, and we'll see our own shortcomings. Worship comes from the inward chambers of our heart and oozes forth in praise, both publicly and privately. I think back of that story we told at the beginning of the message about Urbel. His wife said, if he had had different gods, he would be a different man. If he's your God, it will change who you are. Are you worshiping the King of kings and Lord of lords? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord God, this morning, would you convict our hearts and show us where we fall short. Drive us to our knees, to a place of worship. May some fundamental changes be made in the people in this room this morning that lead to both a time of worship and a life of worship.
Oh God, please, Spirit of God, please move in our hearts. Convict us where we come short. Help hearts to be tender enough to make real, real, life-changing, life-altering, worship-creating decisions. In Jesus' name.